The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I'm coming to you live from the floor of OTC 2023. I'm joined as usual with a co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, sir? Josh, I'm great. We're day three of OTC. Yes. It's only my second day, but day three of the actual uh, conference. Lots of people on the floor. Yes. Lots of, lots of buzz. So it's it's awesome to be here. And we got some great guests today, too. We do. We do. I mean, uh, just before we get to that, the OTC uh, pavilion, we're in the Energy Transition Pavilion this time. And our guests are actually, their booth is in this section as well. I'm blown away by how packed this air, this particular area is for the last three days. And yep. in fact, I want to get their opinion on it in a minute, what they, what they think of the traffic here. But I think OTC's done a good job of addressing energy transition, the companies that are going to be around or, that are helping this, and honestly merging some oil and gas mm -hmm. ex expertise mm -hmm. with what's coming. So. It was interesting walking in, you know, they have the, the little entryways where now you can advertise over the mm -hmm. entryways and everything, and, and Petrobras, which is oily as oily can be, um, historically, right, they're, they're advertising there, it says Petrobras, high energy, low carbon. So. <laughs> You know, the car carbon is creeping into everything. Right. So. Yeah, yesterday I tried to take credit for us, you and I single-handedly changing the narrative, but you were more gracious than I. You said there's other people helping out, but that's, that's right. That's there's, fine. there's a few people involved in this, Josh. <laughs> well, you don't know me well enough because I'm going to take all the credit when this thing happens, but we'll, we'll come back to that later. So anyway, this is a fun podcast. I'm going to just kind of steal the, the next part here because these are friends of, our, of mine for a long time, both personal and business. They've done an awesome job. I've watched them kind of in their career. And uh, now this is the next step for what they're doing and leading the way. But we have two great people on the podcast today, Dan, Carrie Mertland and Ben Bodishpah with Ice Geothermal. Hello, everybody. Hi, guys. How's it going today? Hello. And, and I want to make sure, I, are we ice geothermal or are we ice thermal harvesting? Ice thermal harvesting. See, I said it wrong. Yeah, so let's go back and, and let you intro them again. Do I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like one of, the, one of the key things in a podcast is get the, get the guest company right. So it's Carrie Mertland, right? From Houston. <laughs> yeah. You know, Tommy, you're really messing up right <laughs> now. Good to meet you, Josh. Yes, so our two... It's distinguished guest from Ice Thermal Harvesting. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing well. Good. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks Honored. for having us. Yeah. So, but, Ben, you've been our guest before on another podcast, but Carrie, you never, you would never agree to this. So. <laughs> I have not had the honor yet. So yeah, she's had the honor. Here. She's like, no, no, not doing it. 
Yeah, I did the old uh, Oilfield 360 podcast mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're one of the people we could snag during COVID that would be like, yeah, I'll come in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's good to see you guys. Yeah, it's definitely good to see you. And um, I got exposure to ice thermal through uh, a conference that we did probably a couple of months ago now. And, um, and so I'm glad to sort of get a chance to dig into the story a little bit more. And But why don't you tell us a little bit about the two of you? Know, tell us about you before we start talking about your business. Sure. Okay, I guess I'll go first. Uh, yeah, so engineer by education, uh, civil engineer, uh, ended up landing in the oil field in the late 90s. Uh, construction industry was down, oil field was hiring, even though oil, I think, was $15 a barrel whenever I started with Schlumberger back then. But uh, yeah, I I spent 22 years upstream oil and gas services, uh, primarily in the pressure pumping space. Kind of went along the career with the big big companies, Schlumberger, Weatherford, and then did a series of uh, private equity-backed pressure pumping groups, uh, Liberty Pressure Pumping, uh, ended up getting purchased by Trican in Uh 07. Uh, Stayed on with them till 2010. Uh, 2010 started Mission Well Services, which is an Eagleford focused uh, hydraulic fracturing company. Uh, we also got into coil tubing. That, that business ended up getting sold to Calfrac in 2013. And at that time, I was actually considering getting out of the oil and gas space, or at least out of the fracturing space, and got introduced to, a, at the time, a nascent company uh, that was had some really cool technology and IP in the electrification of the hydraulic fracturing space. and. That was interesting enough to keep me engaged, and uh, I spent eight years there with Evolution Well Services, uh, kind of leading and running uh, the operations there. Uh, it was really fun while we were at the forefront and kind of the only ones playing in that space. And you know, as with any good technology, you're going to have people come along and try and copy and mimic what you're doing. And so now, you know, every big name out there has some sort of either electrified or at least natural gas burning option to, to power the prime movers on a frac site. Um, and after 22 years kind of, you know, playing that game in the in the frac space, it was time to do something uh, different. And so Carrie and I kind of teamed up and I'll let her give her background. But yeah, that's when we, we started ice thermal harvesting a couple years ago. So Yeah, right. well, thanks, Ben. Yeah, so also engineered by degree, went to Michigan Tech where I got a chemical engineering degree. And funny enough, I actually had a degree concentration in alternative fuel enterprises. Um, Having that, though, I had some student loans when I graduated, and the best offer I got coming out of school was for uh, an EPC firm in Houston as a process engineer doing topsides production facility design for uh, some BP platforms. So jumped right into oil and gas, spent my entire career before ICE in oil and gas doing a little bit of everything. So some true engineering on the offshore stuff. Then I went to the Weir Group where I did about six years of multiple functions, a little bit of everything, engineering, product management, sales, sales management. Um, met the folks at Evolution and uh, decided to jump over and join that fun science project that I'd been kind of watching from afar. Um, had no idea what I'd be doing when I joined there, but ended up doing, again, a little bit of everything. Uh, first, figuring out how to build electric fleets and then figuring out, you know, sales strategy, digital strategy, and ultimately heading up operations over there. So. And so you guys met at Evolution. Correct. Yeah. And um, so tell us about the, the brainchild that is now 
um, ice thermal harvesting. What is ice thermal harvesting? Tell us about the company and how did how did you decide to do it? Sure. Well, I think one thing that we realized as we were continuing to find ourselves closer and closer to emissions reduction value for clients while at Evolution, we realized that you know we've got this fantastic resource in hydrocarbons, and as good as we are at it, still at least 50% of the energy that are contained in all the hydrocarbons we pull out of the ground ultimately gets wasted off as heat in the process of turning it into usable power for everyday life. So we saw a massive opportunity. I mean, massive to the extent that, you know, if you turned all of that into electricity, you could have an additional 24 gigawatts on the grid in the U.S. So, yeah, I mean, both of us being very technical-minded people, we thought, why is this not being taken advantage of in a big way? Yep. And so, you know, with that, we see opportunity. We thought, well, there must be some problems with this and kind of slowing adoption of heat to power technology. So we jumped in and uh, started to figure out what are the issues with it? Are they solvable? And how do we solve them? So, I don't know, maybe Ben, if you want to. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when kind of familiar with the space, there's, there's lots of waste heat in both upstream and midstream oil and gas, and, and really across industry, uh, you know, whether it's steel, cement, food and beverage, pulp mm -hmm. and paper, any general industry has a huge amount of waste heat. But you know, the, the areas we were familiar with were you know, large engines that are you know, either driving compression or driving uh, pumps on uh, you know, either uh, on a frack fleet or driving generators on a drilling rig. You know, some of the things that we saw, you know, just from our experience in, in being in the oil field. And so those were kind of our first focuses, as well as some geothermal activity. And as we were kind of first got off, got some funding, some seed money to kind of start the company, we quickly worked on designing a package that could not only uh, take heat from a lot of the sources that we had identified there, but realized that that same package could be across industry uh, for applicability. And really the size of the prize has just continued to grow. And I think every week we realize that there's additional opportunities, both in oil and gas and other general industry, uh, where we can basically take you know, what is somebody's waste and turn it into something very valuable, being you know, electrons primarily behind the meter in, in the way that we're looking at it, and, it, and completely emissions free. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's, let's paint a picture for our listeners here, and, um, and let's help them. So your website, remind us again, is www.ice-th.com. Okay. And so if, if listeners go there, what they're going to see is there's a picture with a big green box that says <laughs> ice on it. And so, but, but again, to paint this picture, so we've got equipment that's on a site somewhere running and it's throwing off heat and you guys come along and do what? Sure, maybe, maybe this is a good point to talk about the two issues that we saw in the space before we started right. and how we solved those. So, Heat to power, uh, kind of the physics of it in the cycle, the organic Rankine cycle has been around for decades, right? It, it, we know this works, but what we saw is that it wasn't being widely adopted for two reasons. And you know, the first one is really an economic one, and it's that if you were going to incorporate heat to power in your, in your process, whatever process you may have, you would have to A, purchase equipment that is not cheap, 
to do that. And then once you purchase that equipment, you would have to engage a third-party EPC firm or an engineering firm to figure out how to design a one-off bespoke process of how you get the heat out of your process and into that generator. Mm -hmm. And those generators only accept heat, AKA their fuel, mm -hmm. in the form of clean, hot water in a very narrow temperature band. And so by the time that you layer on the cost of those ORC generators and the cost of an EPC process to design a one-off plant, the economics start to get pretty tough. So what we did is we designed the ice pack, which is a mini modular process plant in a box, essentially. And you can drop this on a site with no you know, permanent civil infrastructure needed. And it allows people to bypass that whole process. What type of size are we talking about with that? Oh, an ice pack. It's like a 20-foot shipping container. Okay. So, yeah, so that was the first thing that we realized is to make this economical and, you know, kind of feasible, we needed to bypass that entire one-off special engineering uh, process every time you were going to do this. So, and then secondly was just the, the business model. Nobody was out there offering heat to power as a service. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being a couple of service-minded folks, uh, we saw an opportunity there. Well, we'll come in. And we'll do this all and we'll just sell you clean power. And that really minimized the risk for clients to adopt. You know, you keep, you've used the term waste heat a lot. And I'm wondering, because I've, I've learned from just being on the floor here that they've talked about a lot of this technology, or at least the, the concept of it has been around for a long time, right? And is that something that you guys, did you ever think of that when you were drilling? Like, hey, this we're losing potential energy here? In passing, but yeah. because there was not an easily a adoptable solution out there. It was one of those things that, you know, we didn't have the time or resources to do the engineering ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we would have, you know, at evolution. And there's nobody instance, else coming had, to you. Yeah, where we had a large gas turbine, you know, that's expelling, you know, enormous amounts of heat. We would have had to have undergone this, you know, long, expensive journey to come up with a solution because there was nothing available on the shelf before essentially what we've got today that we can deploy in a an affordable and short so that time thing frame. the ice pack then could actually have been useful to absolutely yeah okay absolutely. So, so so the operator of this owner of this equipment that's throwing off waste heat calls you and says i want to use an ice pack and so your business model is a rental model you show up and and they you rent this per day or yeah, we've got two different models that we typically use with clients, and we, and we can be flexible as well, but the first one is kind of a traditional power purchase agreement type you know, situation where we show up and just like they pay, they pay their electricity bill to their utility provider, they then divert some or all of that and pay us in the same fashion. Like we could send them a monthly electricity bill and they pay us in that way. Uh, another way that we've seen is we'll do kind of a flat rate, almost more like a lease, arrangement, even though we still operate and maintain that in a lease arrangement. But the reason that we uh, recognize the necessity of a lease type model is because there are instances where the amount of heat or the amount of electricity that we produce may be slightly lower. So it wouldn't be economic enough for us to just sell kilowatt hours, but we're providing additional value to them in process cooling. So like, for instance, you know, in the Haynesville, if I'm a, a producer, I'm paying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars per month per pad to cool my gas from 250 to 290F down to 120 to sell it into the pipeline. And we said, well, wait a minute, that's not only a big source of scope one emissions, 
but also a lot of capital going into that. So in areas that we uh, provide additional value beyond the kilowatt hour, uh, we usually do a lease arrangement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and you're talking about, you made the comment, your emissions-free power. So help us with that. Uh, take, us, take us through the process that, that the ice pack, I assume, is not throwing off any emissions. Yeah, yeah. so, and, and we may flippantly kind of say ORC, organic ranking cycle, and understanding that, you know, the general layperson person probably doesn't fully understand what 90, that is. 98% yeah. of the people <laughs> so, uh, listening to this podcast well, will have no idea what o well, ORC granted, is. Two and a half years ago, I'm not sure that I did either, but uh, <laughs> essentially, uh, it's a refrigerative compression process kind of running in reverse. And so we, we have a closed loop system that's filled with a, a refrigerant. It's typically some uh, sort of uh, 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 propane derivative or a butane derivative refrigerant that has a very low boiling point. Uh, as we push heat into that system from whatever the source is, uh, that uh, liquid will then vaporize, build vapor pressure in the closed loop cycle, there's an expander that the high pressure gas at that point will go across, induce rotation of this expander, which then is coupled to a generator and the generator produces power. And then there's a backside of the cycle where it's recondensed into a liquid. And so this refrigerant is just continuously uh, going through this cycle. And as long as you can keep putting heat into it, you'll keep spinning that generator and you'll keep producing emissions free electricity. And so uh, there, there is truly, there's no makeup water required as you would have with like a, a, a steam cogen plant. And, and really a lot of the applications that we're targeting are temperatures uh, that are too low for a typical steam uh, type turbine to be effective. Uh, so, meaning the equipment throws off heat, but it's not enough heat that you'd put a a steam, traditional steam yes. generator. Yeah, either because the temperature's too low or there's just not enough thermal mass. Right. Yeah. So, and, and those are kind of the two variables that really, when we look at an opportunity, we, we have to gauge, all right, well, what's the peak temperature of the waste that you're throwing off? And then, you know, how many BTUs are really coming along behind that temperature? What's, what's an ideal opportunity then? The hotter, the better. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. ideal, but, but you know, what, what we've really- With, with mass. Yeah. Right, so not just short bursts, right? Yeah. Just okay. Yeah, continuous. Yeah. Continuous. Yeah, I mean, that, that is the other thing. I mean, it really needs to be coupled with continuous processes. Uh, it is an automated system, so if, if the process is dynamic, so if you have an engine that's going up, you know, ramping up and down, so the exhaust loads may be increasing and decreasing over time, uh, the system automatically adjusts. Even if the heat source goes away for a period of time, the system will basically, you know, use up the available heat It's there, wind itself down and then sit in standby mode waiting for the heat to return and once it returns it ramps itself back up so it's nice you don't have to have you know personnel constantly watching the machine uh, you know it's all remote uh, dial into it be able to look at all the critical parameters you know turn the unit on and off adjust things you know sitting so anywhere you have a laptop your your units are mobile I mean as much as a 20-foot container can be mobile right so but at the same time, we've talked in the past about, like, for instance, a, a forging application, a, a mill, like that type of heat, which is, I mean, either one, is that enough heat consistently on a, on a forging application, or would you want something more in the field that's just putting off heat from a, a well? I mean, like, to, I'm just trying to place, like, which one's a more ideal situation 
for this type of application. Yeah, I think they they both can be really ideal for mm -hmm. us. And that's kind of the beauty of it is, you know, we started this and having in mind just like one or two applications of heat to power. And the more that we looked into it, like the applications are absolutely endless. Mm -hmm. And which is nice because you can do things across industries that way and diversify yourself a little bit against the cycles that we sure. all know well. Um, but yeah, I mean, anything over 200 degrees Fahrenheit is really where we start to see a good economic proposition. Mm -hmm. And then you just go from there in terms of flow rate of the source. And you know, Josh, like you said, we want continuous sources. Um, we like to be a 24-7 source of power. And one of the big value propositions of us too is that you know, we believe that there's going to be a, a bifurcation in how renewables are viewed. And there's going to be those that require batteries to be a 24-7 source. And there's going to be those that don't require batteries to be a 24-7 source. And so luckily, we don't have to play in the battery supply chain game to be a 24-7 source of renewable power. And, and is there any, I may be off base here, but um, if someone starts buying power from you guys, heat running through your ice packs, are they, I mean, is, is there any tax credits or are we saving CO2 here? Is there any you know, that, juice good in the system? Yeah. There is, so there's there's several different benefits, um, I guess, in the kind of tax credit, REC, and then emission savings. What's a REC? Uh, renewable energy credit, okay. yeah. So from an emissions pr perspective, maybe we just start there. Um, we definitely have projects where we are both scope one and scope two emissions reduction for folks. So scope two would be uh, places where we're just displacing grid power that they're purchasing. Mm -hmm. um, and then scope one are, are places where folks are generating their own power uh, or their own direct source of emissions for one reason or another. And we're able to help them reduce that. So. Um, you know, we look at every megawatt we deploy, we can reduce uh, overall CO2 emissions, you know, by 4,000 metric tons annually. And then just to put that into perspective, I mean, we'd like to be close to a gigawatt of deployed distributed power by 2030. So uh, it will be a really meaningful bite out of emissions for folks. Um, Rex? Uh, uh, so you'd like yeah. to be a gigawatt from where today? Uh, well, we're 200 kilowatts. <laughs> yeah, we're small. Yeah. We're yeah. ambitious. We, we have yeah. one commercial installation yeah. out in the yeah. field today. We've got we've got a number mm -hmm. more that are under construction. Yeah, uh, right. That'll be deployed this summer. But yeah, the the uh, we're know, still early. We are very early. Yep. Well, knowing them, I know they wouldn't come on unless there was some activity going here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so what are like what is the customer reception thus far? I mean, what are they? How are they viewing it? What is what does it look like? As much as you could share for kind of the learning curve? Like, do they love what it's doing? I mean, what, what feedback are you guys getting on that? You know, one of the best pieces of feedback, we were out in the Permian with a client that it hasn't been announced yet, and we're, we're putting together a project out there, and one of their engineers said, um, what you guys are doing has proven out to be the cheapest way for us to reduce emissions of all the new green tech things that we've looked at. Wow. So that High was praise. that felt like a home run. Um, so we hope that we get you know continued feedback like that. But uh, the reception's been pretty good, and I think one thing that really helps is our background in the oil and gas space enables us uh, to go to clients that are in the oil and gas space and be seen as kind of a trusted partner in it. Um, so they they're not you know wondering about our intentions coming right. in there. They know we know how to operate <laughs> on on site. 
and how to be safe out there. Um, but yeah, they see us in a lot of cases as uh, an efficiency improvement. So there is uh, some thought, we're yet to prove this, but that we could actually increase throughput at a compressor station by several percent uh, just by reducing cooling duty on site. So not only emissions reduction, but some actual Chain operational yeah. efficiency. So. Mm -hmm. Do you have IP associated with this ice pack? We, we do. That's something we were very intentional about early on, knowing that you know, with the impending success, there would be a lot of people that want to you know, fast follow behind. And so we, we set out to you know, try and draw a little bit of an IP moat. And you know, the, the value of those is obviously yet to be determined. Uh, we've been pretty fortunate. Uh, we've got, I guess, four, maybe five now kind of families of patents uh, where we do have 24 patents granted to date and a, a couple more that are, uh, I think we've received notice of allowance on uh, pending uh, actual issuance. Uh, but that, that is something we, we hold pretty valuable. Uh, a lot of those are focused around specific applications within the oil and gas environment in the upstream and midstream space. Um, but we've got some we're working on now that's uh, a little bit more technologically advanced to actually improve the efficiency of historic organic Rankine cycle technologies. Um, but yeah, the, the jury's still out. Uh, th those are some R&D efforts that we've, we've undertaken that, uh, you know, knock on wood, they vet out. But uh, yeah, if, if they do, it could be very meaningful. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so I'm going to come back to the tax credit thing, sure, do, yes. do, do your customers, are they claiming tax credits or can you as the, as the owner of the asset? Yeah, so since we own, operate, maintain, um, with the IRA, there is an investment tax credit of, you know, anywhere from 30% up to 50, or even in some limited cases, 60% available for heat mm -hmm. to power. So. That wasn't there when we started the business, but it, it definitely is there today. Uh, we've been diligently working with some firms on how you apply this, because what we've noticed is that they'll give like this broad, you know, kind of bill, but then figuring out the guidance on how to actually apply it from an accounting perspective mm -hmm. is, is kind of unclear in the early days. So we think we've found a good way to actually take advantage of that. Um, and then it's basically, you have to retain ownership of the asset for five years. Uh, to be able to take advantage of those credits. So yeah, that, that will definitely help. Um, and we can then factor that into our pricing for clients and make sure that we're competitive with sure. grid rates that they're paying today. You, you say definitely help, but we've had other guests like along the last 12 months that these tax credits, they come on and they say they're game changers, right? For what they've done for the industry. And I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but is, is definitely helps just code for its game changer, or is it just? Well, I'd say for know, the whole industry, they, I'm they, talking. They, they didn't exist when we started the company, right? And you know, I think one thing you got to be somewhat mindful of is that you know the government can give and the government can take <laughs> away, <laughs> right? So uh, I, I think it's 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 very speculative to try and build a complete business plan around a tax credit that uh -huh. may not be there next year. Um, and so we really try to exclude that from most of our calculations. I mean, obviously it's, it, it's there, it exists, we look at it, but we try not to build a business around credits. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think, you know, th there may be applications where you can do that, but it's, it's a little more speculative. Well, than and, what and listen, I, I definitely, I understand your point on that 100%. I think it's probably the wise, definitely the wise thing to do. I was really, I guess I'm putting my past 
conversations in, in mind here. Like, just seems like the mentality of the entire industry because of this, in, you know, increased IRA has really opened people's minds to like, look, there is a huge opportunity here. There's real tax credits. There's real openings. And it feels like there's lots of companies that maybe weren't thinking about things 18 months, whatever, pick your number, recent 24 months anyway, that now they're saying, this is real, we're going to do this, the commitment seems there, and that's that's kind of more of where I was going, but yeah. um, it does feel, I mean, it just this feels like one more place where I mean, it's, it, it's, it, people it are going to win. It is real money, right? I mean, yeah. and so, I mean, for, for sure, and, you know, I'd say it's a, a game enhancer, maybe not a game changer. So. <laughs> I like that, I agree. And, and Carrie, you, you said something that you said, <clears throat> your cost relative to the cost of the grid power. Mm -hmm. So is that really your competitor here? Is it's either access to grid power and the cheaper that power is, the more of a competitor it is for you. And so they may say, yeah, we're, wait we're losing this energy, but if we can, we can buy six cents a kilowatt from the grid, then we don't need to put an ice pack on here because we can't, we're going to pay more than that. I mean, and I don't know if six cents or, I don't know if I'm using the right numbers, but I'm, I'm just saying, so if some place has got a ton of cheap wind power, they're going to look at you guys and say, eh, I already got cheap power. I don't need, you know, green power from you guys. Is that fair? Yeah, that, that definitely has come up. I think folks have been pleasantly surprised at our ability to be quite competitive with grid rates. Okay. You know, we knew that we couldn't come into any geography and say, hey, we're going to charge you double for your power and right. you're going to love it. Like, yeah, buy from it's us. A, yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that's not going to work. So um, what we really want to do is do a win-win. So we want to, of course, decrease emissions for, for clients and where we can, we want an economic win for them, right? Yeah. And, and it's possible in a lot of cases. And one way that we found just recently uh, that it can help folks out with their power bills is that during that 4CP time during the summer where you know the grid peaks are, are used to calculate demand charges for the following calendar year for folks, that's really meaningful. Like those additional charges to folks on their electricity bill is huge. And so if we can deploy equipment, help them reduce their demand on the grid during those you know 4CP events, uh, we can not only save them power that instant, but we'll save them power on their entire next year of billing. Saving power or you're saving money? I'm sorry, we're saving money, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, okay, interesting. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, you've got a, you've got a pilot project going with an upstream company. Um, talk to us a little bit about that, Ben. Yeah, so our, our first commercial installation uh, is up in the Marcellus, West Virginia, at a compressor station with CNX Resources. And that is, when I talked about the compression space, it's kind of the low-hanging fruit that we see that we can copy and paste that type of installation really across the country for because other operators. They're running volumes through this thing 24 hours a day, 20, 365. Yeah, so, so uptime for them is ultimately important, and so that means that heat source is always on. Yep. And you know we're, we're tied on up there with a couple of uh, CAT 3608s. We're taking uh, engine waste heat off of those 3608s producing power, uh, and that sort of application, we are basically copying and pasting with our client in the Permian, where there it's not a transportation pipeline, but they've got a compressor station that's providing uh, gas lift compression, but it's the same basic packages, it's CAT 3608 engines, uh, able to pull the exhaust heat, engine jacket heat, and then also we can pull uh, 
heat of compression, uh, interstage cooling uh, on the actual gas itself. And that's really where we can drive efficiencies in that they have to spend less power to cool the gas if they have variable speed fans, or we can essentially subcool the gas to a point where those molecules are just tighter together and every stroke of that compressor is pushing more gas through the, the pipeline. So that's the efficiency that you were talking about that's earlier. That's right. You know, Dan, remember uh, Dr. Mike I had on here? I do remember Mike, Dr. Mike. Mike Kearney, and he yes. was talking about some of his technologies out there. And they were just so simple in, in at least theory, <laughs> not, not saying the technology behind it, right? That you're like, man, that is a great way to reduce emissions, make things more productive, save money long term, and all of a sudden, like, like that's a great. Why aren't we doing that? And as I'm listening to you talk about this stuff, as we're you're grabbing the heat from the you know the compressor, and I'm just thinking, just conceptually, like, yeah, that that sounds right. Like, why shouldn't we be doing that? How can we grab more of those simple places where heat is coming off? I just feel like this is one of those projects or, or uh, products, excuse me, that's. Again, it sounds simple. That's why it's probably been around for a long time, right? Just commercializing it and making it good for people is It's the commercialization the of tough it part. that has been, you know, historically a challenge. And heat to power, just kind of as a, a sub-industry itself, has definitely matured more in Europe where power prices are more expensive. You know, they're five to eight times the, you know, average industrial power cost mm -hmm. here in the U.S. And so there's been a lot of more economic motivation over there for people to adopt it and the technology to advance as well. And so, you know, we're definitely leveraging some of those lessons learned and then, you know, piling that on with making it much more fit for purpose for the applications that we're familiar with in the oil and gas space, which, you know, that infrastructure doesn't exist in most of mainland Europe uh, as far as just the abundance of compressor stations or the the fact that the compressor stations do run 24-7, you know, from our conversations over there, they're very intermittent, uh, you know, for either certain times of year when gas demand is high during the wintertime. Uh, you see our, our conversations over there, you're talking about, you've actually gone to Europe and met with some of these trying to learn lessons that are harder lessons yeah. that have been learned well, over there? So we, we have one industry partner that's in Europe. Um, you know, there's applications we're looking at in, in parts of Europe. Um, you know, the U.S. is obviously our focus, but we do have aspirations to, you know, be able to specifically target certain uh, geographical jurisdictions that are ripe for this type of technology. And that's, you know, Canada's, well, they're our neighbor to the north. It is an international market that, you know, we would love to, to be a part of. Uh, they have good oil and gas infrastructure. Uh, there, there's some other things about the cycle which makes it more efficient in a colder ambient uh, because there is a, a condensation uh, backside of the cycle. And so uh, you just have to use less parasitic power to run the cycle in a cold ambient environment. Um, one of our investors uh, is focused in the Middle East. And so there's a, a lot of applications in all the Middle Eastern countries who have you know, very high priorities to decarbonize. Um, and that's, you know, everybody from Saudi Arabia to Oman to Kuwait, uh, the, the entire uh, landscape over there is, is interested in adopting technologies like this. And then there's some um, oil and gas tangential geothermal type applications uh, across the world as well. And you've got parts of Southeast Asia, Colombia. Uh, unfortunately, the majority of the U.S. oil and gas uh, activities are typically a little bit lower temperature just from a reservoir perspective. Um, and, and so, you know, most of those 
best opportunities are overseas, but there are still a lot of those opportunities in the U.S. as well. So. Okay. When, what's been your, you're a couple of years old now as a business or a company. Um, it sounds like you're getting some uptake in, in your idea here. What's going to be the limiting factor for you? So to go from 200 kilowatts to 1,000 megawatts is a lot, right? That's a, a lot of X's. Um, so what's, what's the limiting? Is it capital? Is it customer reluctance because it's like, oh, this is new? Or what's, what are your hurdles here? The capital's definitely always right there, probably at the top of the list, I would say. Um, you know, we always joke that it's always going to be this, you're never going to have the right amount of capital and the right amount of contracts sold. It's either you're going to have, you know, too much equipment, not enough contracts, or vice versa. You sign some contracts and then you need more capital to build on those. So trying to keep that balance is is definitely in our, in our crosshairs right now. Um, so... Always focused on that. Um, from the technology perspective, though, you guys are right. I mean, this is not not rocket science. You know, yeah, we've got some pretty complex, you know, automation code and things like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's not going to be the limiting factor. This isn't one of those startups or ideas where, hey, right. you know, this is off the wall science. You're explaining some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, this is this is these are these principles have been proven to work. Mm -hmm. So it's just really kind of keeping track of that. I don't know, Ben, if you have any. Yeah, I mean, I, I think from a client perspective, once you talk to their engineers, you know, explain it to them. I mean, these are smart process engineers. They understand, you know, a lot of complexity of like gas plants that I don't have the understanding of. So I, I think once we explain it to them, it's like the principles are relatively simple. It, it's it's much less technology risk. It's more execution risk. And mm -hmm. and you know, as we build case histories, are able to continue to show you know the amount of uptime that the it's equipment has, that it is reliable. Those are the kind of things that'll you know help kind of push a contract. I think across the finish line. And we are collecting that data now, and you know are able to start to you know have that pedigree that we can mm -hmm. come and you know yeah. not just say hey we've got a, a prototype we yeah, want to put out speed here. up right. time yeah, yeah. yeah. so we're, we're very you know appreciative and and, and uh, you know enjoy the relationship uh, with the guys at cnx you know their willingness to uh, uh take on the pilot project and you know you know fortunately it's gone very well to date and you know we're hoping to expand that relationship as time goes on so um, you're there and running what's your uptime been Essentially 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so no mechanical downtime on no. your, your end? No. No, no. Outstanding. Yeah, yeah, fortunately yeah. not. Knock on wood again. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. But, but it, we just jinxed it. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't say that. But yeah, we, uh, you know, it, it, it's nice. It's, and, and especially coming from the hydraulic fracturing world where, you know, it's heavy maintenance intervals, maintenance costs, maintenance intervals, you know, everything is very intense. And this is a closed loop system. Everything's kind of hermetically sealed. Um, as long as, you know, after commissioning and startup, if you don't have any problems, like, within the first couple weeks, there's probably not going to be any, you know, major problems occur. And right. that, that would be more of, like, a manufacturing defect in one of the key, uh, key critical components had occurred. Um, so, so for us, you know, we're, there are some, you know, maintenance intervals, visual stuff we need to do. The, the units need to be taken offline annually for a few hours to inspect some things that can't be done annually, while it's that's, running. That's it? Annually. annually. Yeah, beyond it's that, like it's, it's clean, Seriously. cleaning heat exchangers is the, the, the main, you know, kind of routine maintenance, and that's typically a pressure washer on the outside of the air condenser. I can do that. I yeah. was going to say right now, I just have this 
cleaning the AC vents in that's my head. That's what it feels like. Yeah. 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 That, that's, that's basically what, what it is uh, as far as kind of a quarterly inspection. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, anything mechanical or electrical, uh, eventually, you know, if not properly maintained, will fail. Right. Um, and so but who's doing that? You guys are going out and making sure it's properly maintained, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah so either our, our people or we have some, uh, you know, trusted uh, Contract. subcontractors okay. in, in basin where, you know, we're based in Houston. Our first installation's in West Virginia. We're yep. chasing one in California. We've got one in North Louisiana, <laughs> West Texas. So we're, you know, our, 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 we're scattered Busy. across the map. And, and so it's, it's hard for us as a small organization to have our, you know, stamp on it all the time. But we do have some, uh, you know, but trusted, again, it, qualified it sounds like contracts. a lot of the products are, it's not like you're, they're familiar with these products. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not new science to them. Yeah. And it, it, as soon as you get the engineers, I mean, you can all rally around thermodynamics. Like, there's, you know, there's no argument <laughs> about know, that. I know, I do every, <laughs> almost every day. That's yeah. coming from a chemical engineer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not a very good one. Um, you know, one thing, though, that, we, that we're learning to do, so we, being, you know, folks that have spent our entire careers in the oil and gas space, we started there in terms of our clients, but now we're branching out and it's been pretty cool to start to get contacts in the other spaces. So cement manufacturing, glass manufacturing, pulp and paper, food heat, and beverage. Heat, heat, I heat. mean, everywhere, yeah. right? And so Just industrial manufacturing. It's it, mm -hmm. everywhere. And a lot of those projects are really cool because you know, you're not talking about 200 kilowatts, you're talking about many megawatts. Yep. Yeah. Is this scalable? Do you just stack these boxes on top of each other, or, or do you just make bigger boxes? Um, both. Both, yeah. Okay. Both. And, that, and that goes back to the stationary versus mobile, right? You're, these are, you're planting them in their plant somewhere in Indiana, mm -hmm. or picking a random mm -hmm. state here, but yeah. okay. For, for every startup company, there's always a, you had an idea, and then you had to find some money to fund it. And during, so during COVID, by the way, <laughs> well done. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how, how you got funded and, and sort of where you are in the world of, of, you know, are you profitable yet? Are you, you know, are you going to be out raising capital, et cetera? Yeah, so uh, I guess, you know, on the, on the very front end, you know, I've been fortunate to make a, a number of really good friends and contacts within the, both the private equity world as well as just kind of general oil and gas space. And uh, when, you know, I'll give Carrie full credit here. That no. kind of the concept was really her idea, and you know, we, we kind of talked about it. It's all like, coming out now, yeah, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no denial. Um, and so, uh, went to a good friend of mine, Vivek Raj, who runs uh, Genesis, Capital, Genesis Capital Management, um, and said, "Hey, you know, we've got this concept. Do you think you could help us raise some money around it?" And he's like, "Yeah, absolutely." And so, you know, we put together a relatively brief and, and you know we'd done some very basic back of the napkin math at that point in time and, and kind of market study um, and you know went out put a small presentation together uh, gave two pitches got both of those groups on board wow. and they provided our seed investment and that was uh, select energy services and uh, Nesser, uh, who is the Middle Eastern-focused oil and gas service company. So. Man, that really gave us a false sense of how easy it would be to raise <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, not the odds. Uh, I guess this is one area where maybe this is a game changer because of the IRA. So we, we are you know, working on some financing um, that is debt financing, but it also takes advantage of the fact that there are those tax credits available to help us get a rate that you can live with. Mm -hmm. um, rather than paying, you know, credit card interest rate, right. you're paying 
kind of <laughs> normal uh, you know, sing, single digit, right? To finance the equipment. To finance the equipment. And, it, yes. and are the contracts, are they year or two, no cut, so you can, they're financeable, or is it month to month? I like you this month, I don't like you next month. Is there a handful or more, is what we kind of. Handful uh, or more? Yeah, years. Okay. Sorry. Got yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I think all of our active proposals out now are, I think, seven years. Um, okay. We've got a five year you know, contract, and then I, I would say the only exception to that is a couple of, hey, we want to try this before we jump in and put uh -huh. this across all of our operations, so let us try it for a year, two years, three years. But yeah, you're, you're right, to get kind of a financeable. Yeah. Yeah. The way you described it off air, you said it was a, the kind of rate you get your first credit card out of college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, traditional <laughs> debt for a, a company of, you know, our history, and it, it's what it is. Yeah. And, you know, this, this equipment is not easily liquidable on an off-sale market. And so, you know, from right. a collateral perspective, it makes it, it It's either this or nothing. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, Luckily, we're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that would be an expensive way to finance the business. Mm -hmm. and, so, um, and so your costs at this point are really getting more of the kit out in the field. Yeah, I mean, we've got... How many people do you have? Are you burning... I mean, you have a so, so we've ton got of a, people? Or? Yeah, we've got a total of eight people, including Carrie and myself. Uh, it's a you know, good, solid team, engineers, business development. Um, we've got... Uh, Four of those employees are here in Houston. We've got a guy in Dallas, and then we have a person in Bakersfield, California. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, their office is great. They're over on uh, the Hardy, North okay. Houston there. So, I mean, it's, there's room to grow. I mean, you, it's clear yeah. you've set a vision that we're not going to be small. This is what we want to do. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully here in the next, you know, two, three months, we add at least three more key hires to the team. Uh, or we're about to kind of start that mm -hmm. process. So. It... it is there a rule of thumb, kind of capital cost per megawatt or something like that, or is that kind of proprietary and you don't like to talk about it because the the, the commercial well, negotiation piece? I'd say if you, if you look at solar, especially if you're coupling it with batteries, mm -hmm. kind of a, a dollar per megawatt, yep. it's kind of in that ballpark today. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, when you're... So that's how you're you're generally thinking about pricing. In, yeah, in and and, and as and I'd say as as we're moving forward, we've got a pretty clear path to bring that capital cost per megawatt down. Yeah, um, and, and some of that's insourcing, some of that's just buying in volume, um, some of that is as we, you know, there there are economies of scale with these. So you know, a larger uh, heat source that can employ more units, we're able to be more competitive on right. pricing than. If, if I'm Exxon, and this is a little bit in the weeds, I apologize, but if I'm Exxon with a really low cost of capital, don't I want to own the equipment and, and pay you an IP fee, or do I want to license this and run it myself? I'd say it depends, and, and you know, E&P companies kind of depend upon where they're at in the cycle. Either yep. want to own their assets or they want to lease their assets. Yep. And, and some of them just within their DNA want to own things. You know, you have yep. some very vertically integrated EMP companies. You have some that want to have complete flexibility to turn the key off tomorrow, right? right. And not have r residual yeah. Walk away. liabilities. Um, so I, I'd say certainly we have had a, a couple of groups, you know, say that they want to own it or maybe at the end of a, you know, a five or six year term, they want to own the asset. Uh -huh. And, you know, we're not hard set 
in, you know, if, if somebody wants to engage and negotiate yep. something, we're a small company, we're looking for opportunities to grow. I mean, we're, we're never going to just say this is our, you know, proposal, take it or leave it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, but I'd say the pay as you go has definitely received good reception from nearly everybody we've talked to. Uh, there's, there's only been one or two that would really say, well, you know, maybe yep. we want to own it. But I, I'd say those are more the exception than the rule. So. It sure seems like this business is a natural fit with a, a process equipment company. You know that that is selling other pieces of kit into the into the customer base. Yeah, um, I definitely think there's some you know not distribution channels, but there's definitely some avenues to place a lot of these things with folks who offer equipment that we could either bolt onto or take heat from their process. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think in the future, we'll definitely evaluate some of those types of agreements. Um, I think maybe just today, want to get a few more case histories under our belt, sure. make sure we don't hit any stumbling blocks before. Yeah. You guys have, I mean, so you've been around the decarbonization side of the oil patch a little bit with, with evolution and, and now with what you're doing. Do you think, so give us the, Give us the insider's view. Do you think that the oil patch is serious about this or are they just doing it because they feel pressured by their shareholders or the public or whatever it is? I think it's probably both. Okay. But it seems like folks are really serious about it. I mean, at the core, I, I don't know anybody that I could name right now that doesn't want to do the right thing, that doesn't want to lower emissions, right? But we just have to make sure that there's ways that they can do it that aren't going to be disruptive to the operation. And, you know, I think if folks in the oil and gas industry could do anything, it would be, you know, we need a really good tool for the average consumer to be able to see their carbon intensity of any activity they're doing on, a, on the daily and, you know, see, okay, how much energy does this take? How much energy do we get from an oil well versus mm -hmm. from solar panels versus from this? And, if we just had a more educated, you know, general public about what energy is from a you know, very unemotional perspective, you know, there is no free lunch. There is no form of energy that doesn't come with some consequence. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, some of the clients now that we've got that hoping to announce soon that are in the oil and gas space, they are so serious. I mean, we go into a meeting at their headquarters and they're only asking questions about how are you going to reduce emissions? Mm -hmm. How are we going to do this? And I mean, very, very advanced questions. And they're definitely focused on it. I don't know if you, Ben, do you I, think I, that they're... I'd say it's definitely a much larger focus here in 2023 than it was in 2018, mm -hmm. 2019. Sure. And mm -hmm. you know, at, at that point in time where we were really trying to show emission savings of burning natural gas versus diesel on a frack fleet, you would hear some of the very large public companies, their CEOs, you know, talking at conferences or whatever, saying, yeah, we're decarbonizing, we got all these initiatives. And then you go talk to completions engineers, completions managers, and they'd be like, my personal goals are not associated with that, so I really don't care. But I think, mm -hmm. you know, now it is filtered down through mm -hmm. those companies. Everybody has, you know, things that are on their annual, you know, personnel performance list that, you know, what have, what decarbonization efforts, you know, reducing diesel consumption, uh, you know, all of these sorts of initiatives have really infiltrated throughout organizations, which, I mean, 
that's where we've seen change drive. And now, yeah, I mean, I'd say 99% of the conversations we have, like people who aren't going to pay 50% more yeah. or something, but if you can be cost competitive, then it's kind of a no-brainer. Then you're going to win. Yeah, yeah, and I guess just looking at the track record, 100% of our clients today are in the oil and gas space. And yeah. it seems like they've been the first ones to put their hand up and say, yeah, either I'll try it Love out it. or, you know, who other than folks in the oil and gas industry are putting more money up to fund some of these technologies this is as well? What we were talking about off camera was, you know, I asked you, are you guys oil and gas people still? And you said energy. We're just energy We're people. energy people. You just, you know, you just do the best you can. And you, we definitely see ways to increase efficiency, which, you know, naturally will decrease emissions. So mm -hmm. we're always going to push further that way. But pragmatic approach. Where's your where's your next business <laughs> development person Love outside it, of way. oil and gas? Sorry. Outside of oil and gas, what industry? So yeah. your oil and gas people, there are, other, there are other places. So do you just try to go deep in this space because you know it, or do you say, ah, it's well, I cement? Think it, I, well, I think it's both. And, and so cement, steel, Pick one, though. I'm, that's, see, that's my, what <laughs> I'm pushing well, you. See, this is the challenge we have as oil and gas people is that, you know, when we've talked to cement manufacturers, we've talked to uh, glass folks, we've talked to people in kind of steel treating, you mm -hmm. know, things that generate a lot of heat. It is challenging, you know, just like some of them, you know, coming into the oil and gas space trying to sell something, there's a challenge going into sure. those industries as a, an outsider yeah. Yeah. because you're not ultimately familiar or with how the from process Ohio, works. You're not from Ohio. Right, right. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> I mean, so, really, I get it. So there are definitely, you know, uh, objectives this year to bring on some business development folks that understand those industries mm -hmm. uh, specifically, have contacts there, or you, you know, understand the sales cycle. A lot of these fixed plants, you know, a capital project for them is a huge thing. They may only do it every three or four years, whereas oil and gas people are doing capital projects constantly. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's just the name of the game. And so it, it, it is a different industry to sell right. into. Right. And that's whether it's cement, steel, glass, whatever. I'd say those are more analogous to each other than they are, you know, to, right. to oil and gas. So. And, and you're, I mean, you're not going to be a huge ticket initially, right? I mean, you're not a... $50 million thing, you're a $500,000 thing, or a million dollar thing, or a $3 million thing, I'm assuming. It's yeah, a question. It, it, you're right, right, it, typically. I mean, there are some bigger projects that it would be more, but the, the thing is, is that it's, a, it's money they're paying already. They're already paying a power bill, or they're uh -huh. already paying to generate power in one way or another. So it's not like we're introducing a new cost yeah. on them. Um, so uh -huh. I, I, that has been helpful as well. Yeah, yeah. What else do we need to know about ice thermal harvesting before we hit you with the lightning round? I want to know uh -huh. how much fun it's been. Has it been fun? Has it been, what's, what have the last two and a half years been That's like? That's a great question. Yeah, I, I mean, startup kind of life gets in your blood. And you know, I've, I've kind of done a series of startups and I enjoy it when it's small. You have a small trusted team. You know, everything you do every day really does impact the business yeah. significantly. You know, everything you don't do every day <laughs> significantly Great impacts point. the business, right? <laughs> and so I don't, I don't, I, I kind of thrive in that. It, there's somewhat of a, an adrenaline junkie on, on mm -hmm. that. Um, so I've had a blast. I, I don't know, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's like the thing that makes it the most challenging and also the most fun is the same, and that's just the uncertainty. Like you don't know exactly what's going to mm -hmm. happen next. And yeah. agree, it's just if, it, you know, 
Ben and I both, if, we, if we're not going to a new vendor and looking at a new way to do something or a new piece of kit and they're telling us, eh, I don't know about that, like, we don't want to be there. Right. We don't want to be there if it's something everybody's doing. Has so. it changed the way you think about all those types of projects? Like, just big, thinking big on everything or have you always been doing that? I mean, because you both came from Evolution and at, honestly, one of the big runs they had too, that was a great run. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they're still extremely they're still successful. Sure. Absolutely. Fact, yeah. I mean, yeah. No. I mean no, those great guys group, are great. Absolutely. Great, great group of people, great technology. I'd still so say it's fun. the best one out there as they're, far as options. Truly, that was not a, they're um, doing awesome but, stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we always want to try and push the limits of what's available and, you know, lots of times we have vendors say no and, all right, well, you know, no, this is what we want. Yeah, Make it happen. It is possible. Yeah, it is possible. <laughs> yeah. We know we can do it. We know we can either, you know, technologically it's possible. We know we can get the cost down. Maybe we just need to, you know, do it a little different. So, um, you tell them to rally fun. around the thermodynamics. And exactly. <laughs> Who can't get behind <laughs> that? I think, I that was I think I we I mean, to, we're going to have a banner in our front lobby now that says that. Rally. Yeah, that's, I mean, if that's not a tagline, I, I don't know what is. What would, you, what would you tell entrepreneurs? So you're two years in, Carrie, Ben, you've done this a few times now. So what suggestions you, would you have for the other people out there that have two folks and an idea? Persistence is the biggest thing. Yeah, like, absolutely. Get, get used to hearing no, and that's no from clients, from vendors, investors, you know, all the way around. If, if, you, if you're not persistent, you're going to, you know, get discouraged, you're going to give up, so. Yeah, absolutely, the tenacity of it. And just, you have to continuously do hard things every day. It's like what I tell my children, you have to do hard things. Like, right. this is how we build confidence and success. So, yeah, tenacity. I think. The nice thing you guys have, it seems, is that you have the underlying confidence of the business or the idea. So it's not hard things and, oh, I, I hope this technology works, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, which takes a big element out for a lot of energy transition companies, which is I've got to convince people of something and, right. boy, I hope this actually works in practice. Right. So you have the, ORC in your favor, organic Rankin cycle, as we've also learned. So, I mean, Josh, I feel like, you know, my mind just expands so much every, every time we do one of these podcasts. See, this is, uh, this is the first episode we've ever done that we haven't prepared notes. Guess whose job it was to prepare notes this time? <laughs> my it's job. Right. It's all right. We're, see, see how I'd have known organic Rankin cycle uh, if you'd have prepared notes. <laughs> mind expansion when we have to wing our first, they did great. They, this was a fabulous uh, exploration into a really kind of interesting business and it, and it certainly highlights to me that um, you can sit around a business for a very long time mm -hmm. and there are still yes. things that maybe are obvious if you can just approach them a different way. Absolutely. And this is an example of, you know, again, a little off-camera conversation we had before the whole purpose of this podcast. And it was to explain that like energy transition is happen happening, energy expansion, however you'd like to call it. I've, I've, a couple of people have come up to me in the podcast and said that this week. But then a lot of the solutions for this are gonna come from oil and gas people. People that have cool. been in that business that understand it, it just ha they need to take fresh eyes on something that's existed for a long time. So, and it, it feels like that's a, this is a perfect example of it, so. Fabulous, so Ben and Kerry, our lightning round is Short answers, no explanation. It's just another way to get to know you. Um, and you both have to answer. 
And yes, we're looking for answers for these questions. And, and because we are doing these a bit on the fly, Josh and I are going to share the... We're going to just forget that, that yeah. somebody forgot to do notes today. Yeah. Just <laughs> We're going we're gonna to share them. And do you want to go first, Josh? Yes. Goatee or beard? Beard. Beard? <laughs> um, hockey or soccer? Soccer. Okay, one, one of one. each. Will we make it net zero by 2050? No. No. Uh, Whataburger or Five Guys? Five Guys. Five Guys. I'm hungry. Yeah, I mean, it's lunchtime. <laughs> that sounds for the, for I would our love some Five Guys right now. Uh, Ted Lasso or White Lotus? I haven't seen either. You've been starting a business. This <laughs> yeah. These go. both have come out I, in the last two and a half years. I, I did watch White Lotus. I've never seen Ted Lasso. Okay. All right. Um, ben, are you bullish or bearish on the S&P 500 from here? Oh, Bearish, short-term. Bearish. Uh, electric vehicle or gasoline engine? Gasoline engine today. Okay. Same. Will we have another IRA-type bill in the U.S. in the next three years? Yes. No. <laughs> uh, Nashville or uh, Los Angeles? Nashville. Nashville. Uh, do you think the Ukraine conflict lasts into 2024? Unfortunately, yes. Yes. Uh, venture capital or private equity? Venture? <laughs> I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing at something else. Sorry. I'll say venture as well. I want to go to the space in between. Can I say that? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Twe so tweener. Let, let me do this tweener. real quick because yeah. Dan will get left. So I already know Ben's answer for sure. <laughs> Uh, work from home, or excuse me, work from the office or work from home? I'm work from the office. Office. That's not what I thought you would have said. Mm. I thought you would have definitely been a work from home guy, but. Uh, ben? No. Work from the, you're the office guy now. He's the office okay. guy. Okay. And nice. the last question, not the most important one, but uh, the most consistent question that we ask, will the Houston Texans win a Super Bowl within the next decade? Oh, I don't think so. No. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> nice. Carrie's invited back. Ben. One person <laughs> Never. <laughs> yes, never. Um, fabulous discussion. Thank you so much. Carrie Mertland, Ben Bodishoff. Appreciate you it, so guys. Much, Thanks, guys. guys. Great job.